Light. Camera. Action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner, and the matchup we'll be getting into this week is 2004's Layer Cake versus 2000's Gone in 60 Seconds. Keenan, how are we doing today? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Yourself? Not too bad at all. WFH today, bit of a change for me, so weirdly the day felt longer. Doing less um, than normal, then. No, no, too too panicked. Uh, I can't do it very often, so there's a bit more pressure in that. If my kind of uh, my production was to drop significantly, then it would be too much of a red flag. So, no, if anything, I've got to do more. Okay, I get that. Damn shame. Um, Mm. Bit of a change today. There wasn't much new movie news. We aren't the type to really fall on over the Golden Globes and all of that kind of thing. So I have a little bit of a different exercise for you. I'm going to hit you with the News of the Week jingle, and then I will run you through it. Casting What If is always a big feature that we go through when we do the trivia. I'm going to tell you some big casting what-ifs and you tell me your first thoughts on each of them. Okay. Knocked Up, a film that we've done previously on this podcast, and I'm sure you've heard of several of these uh, casting what-ifs. Anne Hathaway was the initial choice to play Alison Scott over Catherine Heigl. Could that have worked, her and Seth Rogen? I don't think so. She said when she was initially offered the role... She felt it was a bit too radical in comparison to what she'd done previously. Yeah, I get where she's coming from. Do kind of need someone to buy into that as well. Seemed Catherine Heigl did buy into it, and then years down the line, got <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, one of the few things Seth Rogen does seem genuinely upset about when he's uh, ever asked about it. More that she just doesn't now hates the film. He basically just says, well, she didn't say any of this when we were filming, so I don't like the way she's spoken about me, Jill Apatow, like we were some frat pack boys kind of urging her on to do things she didn't want to do, and that wasn't the case at all. Yeah, I get it. Killian Murphy as Christopher Nolan's Batman. No. If you hadn't seen Christian Bale and you were told that Killian Murphy was going to be a Batman. Could you see it or? I don't think so. Anything in particular? Too skinny? No, I don't even think it's. I'm not even sure it's that. Too bad guy facey? I don't know. I, 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 I can maybe see him as Batman, but somehow I don't see him as Bruce Wayne. No, they obviously liked him enough to then keep him in the films, but. Yeah, he pops up in two, doesn't he? Yeah, Scarecrow from memory. Mm, he is, yeah. Batman Begins, I think we've shared our thoughts on that before, though, so a little less familiar. Jim Carrey is Jack Sparrow. Reportedly, no. he was the first choice. I'm glad we got Johnny Depp instead. One, I don't know if we did this on a News of the Week previously or not. I can't remember. Tarantino has come out recently and said that the Bear Jew in Inglorious Bastards was written for Adam Sandler. 
Yes, I did know that. Because of conflicts with funny people, um, he was unable to do it. He says it's a big regret of his. Yeah. Eli Roth's good in it, though. Yeah. The thought of Sandler in a Tarantino film is just... I'd love to see it. Mm. I don't know. I think that's one of the few characters you could he could play and you'd be like, yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah. Have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet? No. Still surprised by that. Um, I've heard so many... It's one of them that... I've, it's been hyped to the yeah, extreme. Yeah, I get it. It just seems strange you wouldn't tick off a Tarantino one. Yeah, I think this is the one that... It was the one I was most unsure... It was the, the one I was unsure about anyway. And then people are like, oh, it's amazing, it's amazing. And I feel like it's probably just going to let me down. Yeah, my, my review wouldn't have been that to you. Um, no, I think you, yours was one of the more midlist. Yeah, pretty pretty much. It's good, yeah. it's Tarantino, it's mm. is what it is. But there's a role in that. Brad Pitt's role was um, supposedly tagged with Tom Cruise. And the thought of those two linking up and just being a fly on the wall for some of their conversations. It would be. It's what I imagine. That is what I imagine Hollywood would have been in the 80s. (laughs) Have you seen any of the clips and things from the Golden Globes last night? Uh, Only the one you sent me of Colin Farrell. Okay. There's... um... I don't even know if that was the Golden Globes. I think it was something the day before. It's just a weird okay. season over there. But I've... Would it have been the Oscars? No. No. Some big award ceremony. Um, but there's a lot of clips of Tarantino and Brad Pitt and Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie and Anna Diarmas and Margot Robbie and everyone just linking up. Okay. Brad Pitt, a few of those uh, headlines about him, I think some people have done him a favour in not blowing those up a bit more. Um, big one that I've spoken to you about recently uh, Winona Ryder as Mary Corleone in The Godfather Part 3 uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> the only the, the problem with that is no disrespect to her but Sophia Coppola is fucking awful in it that's so obviously the third film is spoken about in the way that it is mm-hmm. how differently do you think it could be spoken about with i mean no disrespect intended a proper actress in the role yeah uh, like, is I, it still spoken about could it could she elevate it to an extent where people are talking about it with the first two maybe not with older writer but i do think if you could have got a better actress in there oh, it would improve it Winona Ryder in late 90s or whatever it would have been yeah i'm not, I'm not saying but do you think that's notice? But do you think that's of the level? Maybe yeah, needs... I believe so. Okay. Because you're not asking too much, I don't think. Well, the, the, the thing is, the the scenes that Mary has in the film, and I spoke to you afterwards. I don't know if I've said on here that I finally did watch this at Christmas time. Um, it wasn't. It was more of that that role should have been. That role should have been what you describe. I forget his name. Ethan Hawke's role in Trading Day as, <laughs> and it just slots in yeah. because she's been she's been asked what to have some resentment towards her dad, and then die at the end. Yeah, essentially, and she just makes every scene so like Painful? you're squirming in your seat, like oh yeah. come on, because here's. Um, 
his latest film he's doing is taking a battering in terms of the production and just the replies in every single one of him almost just wanting some sympathy a lot. I'm sure you've got a family member somewhere that can fill in for the job. Um, yeah, I just, I, she's shocking and I don't never out this cause. I do think the one, the mistake that they made as well is, I know there's no way of doing it, but they should have just paid Duval the money. Yeah. And brought him back as Tom Hagen. Great character. Great actor. It would have just added something to it. I have yet to see it, but they did. And I think you and I should probably try and watch it. But I think I'm about to ask you about the same thing. They made they obviously they made their re-release. Yeah. And they put they've put out the film that they always wanted to put out. And what I've read is that it is a vast improvement. So that's I was going to ask if you. I don't remember you saying you hate the film. But do do you? have strong enough feelings about the film that you wouldn't dedicate three hours to essentially see if it changes your mind because there's okay because yeah i i I liked it i didn't i was the one who told i was the one who told you that if you took away if it was called if it was a standalone film it's the thing that killed it is that they they is in that trilogy ck said similar then sean said it was his favorite if you that tracks um <laughs> if 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 it was a separate like if it was just that storyline which is they would have to make a few tweaks obviously but if it was that storyline as a standalone mafia film i mean people are like, oh, okay not great it'd be you're not gonna like what i'm about to say but it'd be in your in your mix with the gangster squads of the world oh i think it's got to be above that well, you think it'd be better i mean even now i think it's better Okay, I thought you. I thought you were. I thought you were a big lover of Gangster Squad. Well, I think we did the the re the the, the rewatch. Um, took it down a few pegs in my estimations, and I I thought Godfather Three was a solid, like three and a half out of five. Like I had it closer to a four than a three. I think it's not bad. I like I've said to you before, the incest is what it is. I don't, I, it doesn't like doesn't really need to be there. The bit with the church at towards the end is a bit like whatever. <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> It's not like I don't think it's as bad as. Well, they go in and out. But essentially, the the whole point is to say, however powerful you thought the mob was by this point, it's actually like ten times more powerful than you yeah. could even imagine. No, I know, but it's it is for the filming purposes. It's just it's a, it it doesn't necessarily it doesn't do a great deal. No, um, they probably had the 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 props from the first film and um, the religious aspect <laughs> of it, and that scene. Was and then they probably, it's, oh, we kind of say with sequels, don't we? You can either do the carbon copy and play it safe or you can mix it up and they've probably just tried to take a snippet and just redo it almost. Yeah. And that's like I say, I, but I do I stand by no Tom Hagen's a big mess. Yeah. But hey, you get uh, Duval and gone in 60 seconds instead. So mm. everyone's happy. Well, not quite. Christopher Walken auditioned for the role of Han Solo. <laughs> Doesn't get the part. Well, obviously. Um, but no, it's not one of them where he's turned it down, is what I mean. Like, he's rejected in, in this in this sense. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought you meant. Um, th- th- that just never works, does it? So, I... 
really liked <laughs> the thought of it when um, when I read this. But part of this is uh, I really like a lot of the thoughts of some of the casting what ifs, but then I also may not want to sit and watch two and a half hours of it to find out. Like the idea of a couple of scenes in my head is enough. Walken does say, look, this wasn't the biggest issue in the world. Essentially, everyone in my age range that was coming through in Hollywood at the time got this script. They auditioned about 500 people for it. He's just now one of the more notable people to be able to say about it. Al Pacino got the script and said, I didn't know what the fuck this was about. <laughs> De Niro got the script. I believe De Niro auditioned as well. Um, also wouldn't have been a good fit. No, he also said I. it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Mm. But George Lucas effectively had already worked with Harrison Ford and he was dead set on he needed new faces for this. So he brought Harrison Ford in to kind of help him out, look through the people. It was just someone he trusted I mean, it's just that classic case of once he's heard Harrison Ford say a couple of lines, it's like, yeah, no one's actually fulfilling the vision of what I have here better than the guy to the left of me. And yeah, all works yeah. out in the end. Yeah. Apart from Harrison Ford, I think just <laughs> he just despises Star Wars now. I get that. And, but his feelings are like the, the polar opposite with um, Indiana Jones. Like he loves Indiana Jones, doesn't he? He says he will haunt anyone that tries to take over and redo it when he's dead. That's up. Because I could, I could understand it if his hatred was the last 40 years, people have been shouting this shit at me. Um, but yeah, surprising Indiana Jones is his one. I can only imagine. Is it maybe because he's the star in Indiana Jones? Is Star Wars fans, I mean, we've spoken to Harper, who is a strong fan, but then probably doesn't even touch like the outside whatever percentage of the proper, proper Star Wars fans, the ones that can tell you the climate on each planet and all this other mental stuff. I mean, Harper did once describe... Indiana Jones is the best trilogy ever. Yeah, ever, yeah. So. I'm thinking Indiana Jones fans are probably a bit more standoffish than the Maybe Star so. Wars ones, who probably a bit much. I think Jack's the only person I've ever met that's like, ride or die for Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. then you like that with Star Wars. Maybe he just secretly loves Harrison Ford. Maybe he does. Uh, Russell Crowe is Aragorn in Lord of the Rings. Which one's that? So, he... Uh, Viggo Mortensen's character. Exactly, that's what I need to know. Um, I thought you were saying which film, and that was really spun me. No, no, no. I know the characters. I just can't. I don't know. Yeah, don't know the names. Um, no, I actually quite. I, I, I watched it. I did. I had to watch one of these for the pod. Watch one for the pod. Um, no, I like Viggo Mortensen. So yeah. we always say about the Hangover story. Um. Russell Crowe was reportedly offered 10% of the franchise on top of his salary. Of Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Oh it, it equates to over $100 million. <laughs> wow. He was asked about it on a chat show and how he feels. And he said, yeah. well, I, I don't really think about it too much unless I have asshole interviewers like you bringing it up. <laughs> Have you ever heard the Damon one about Avatar? Yes. Um, yeah. I, I was going to include it on this little thing, but I think we spoke about it 
a couple of weeks back when we uh, spoke about Sam Worthington. Mm. Then turned turn down a piece of Avatar. Yeah. Points on the back end. Worth, worth about a quarter of a billion, I reckon. Jeez. I've got to think point. with Avatar, um, not with Avatar, with Matt Damon, career earnings probably, would you say, significantly higher than Russell Crowe? Maybe that just, I don't feel, that just feels right to me, but I imagine if we broke it down, then maybe not. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. I think maybe because Damon's more recent. Um, part of the yeah. Avatar thing as well. Do you think if he's made so much money the first time around, do you reckon you get coaxed into kind of investing more? And James Cameron, we know how many Avatar films he wants to do. That could cost you money in the long run. <laughs> It's unlikely. What else are you doing that's going to generate you a quarter of a, a quarter of a billion? I mean, if you're having to start money pumping money back in, he's not going to have to do that, though, is he? I mean, if you've done so well on the first one, and Cameron's going, you know, you want to have a slice of the second one? I mean, we're thinking, no, no, he that's, has. That's, that's just never going to happen. He's cut back a bit, hasn't he, on his what it has to do to kind of make the film worthwhile, and I think he's claiming it's past that now, so... Yeah, he cut back on it after it had made after it had done close <laughs> to a billion. He was like, "Yeah, it'll probably be all right." Yeah, no shit. Yeah, he was saying like then it could be in the top ten or something rather than the top like three. They, yeah, they're re-releasing Titanic in three D next month. How much money does this bloke need? You're James Cameron. Yeah, legend. He, yeah, t- t- he said he was going all out for three D though, so looks like he's sticking to his word. I think it's very hard though to recreate like an entire film and do it again. Now, if anyone's going to do it, Cameron's going to do it. An example I would say is uh, they they tried doing this with Star Wars, something that you would think lends itself quite well to kind of a, a, a 3D yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, remaster. Mm-hmm. But really what they do, and you kind of pick this up halfway through, is they sprinkle in enough set pieces so you can leave the cinema and say, that was great, that bit there yeah but they they can never do the avatar thing where like everything's 3d where it is truly an immersive experience Mm. i remember with star wars they did it with uh the pod race um, in the first one and so when there's the shots uh, like the pov shot with the almost like bolts coming across that looked really good and then they went all in for the battle at the end with the lightsabers as you'd imagine yeah okay that's fair yeah, tough. Titanic, I bet there'll be some shots that are beautiful, but that's also sitting through another three hours with 3D glasses on. And I am not fucking doing that. So, rough. Um, do you think also that's the right demographic to recreate a 3D film for? Or is Titanic big enough that it doesn't matter? Um... Like, I would imagine the main viewership of a Titanic film now is like a late thirties, forties woman. Are, are yeah. they the people you're you're aiming three D at? I may be completely wrong, but it seems Take more of a and so on and so forth. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. I'll maybe see how, we'll maybe see how they are. Does. Maybe they are banking on the fact that it's at the end of the day, it's still Titanic. Or maybe. Yeah, and maybe the outlay, I'm sure they get their projections where it's kind of like 
this can't really lose. Yeah, possibly. And then finally, um, Hugh Jackman as James Bond. No. He was in talks before doing X-Men 2. Um, he said, like, legit talks. He was told they were trying to make Bond grittier. He had the choice, effectively, you need to do one of these. And he wanted to have more of a creative input than they were willing to allow. He says, fair enough, not for me. I'll go back and I'll uh, return as Wolverine for the second time. Everyone's happy, I guess. And the fourth time, and the fifth time, and the sixth time. So he probably... He's probably got more longevity out of Wolverine than he, and he's the basically Deadpool three, and he? so he's definitely, yeah, and yeah. probably ended up with more longevity than he would have as Bond anyway. So the Deadpool three one's interesting as well because we don't really get it in in sport over here because I think we're a bit more cynical. But you see sometimes in basketball where a player will make no bones about it, like I essentially just want to go and play with my mate, and LeBron's being really honest, like I basically just want to stick around and play with my son and. With Deadpool 3, Hugh Jackman was essentially like, oh, I didn't really want to return as Wolverine. I thought I'd ended it pretty well, but the thought of spending eight months, me and a lot of my best mate, away together, too good to turn down, really, as well as the money on top of that. So, yeah, it makes sense. I've got a lot of time for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just rare that we uh, that we get that. Yeah. Like I was, the Ronnie O'Sullivan was the one when he was like, yeah, I've got school fees to pay. I had time for yeah. that. <laughs> Anyway, let's get on to our first film of the day, Layer Cake. Again, like last week, not a TV trailer, so I'll give you somewhat of a little teaser of what we're about to get into. Well, I believe you have some property that belongs to my employer, and you're the person I should talk to about the return of this cargo, stolen by your associate, the Duke. Ah, uh, Dragon, the Duke has nothing to do with me. Mr. Duke came to Amsterdam, used your name, said he worked for you. Are you listening? Dragon? I've got an idea. Why don't you come around for breakfast? I'll squeeze some orange juice and grind some coffee and we can talk about this like adults. How does that sound? Hmm? Sounds very hospitable. Do you know where I live? No. Well, fuck off then. A successful cocaine dealer gets two tough assignments from his boss on the eve of a planned early retirement. What do you think the critics thought of this? It's seven out of ten. Fair. Layer Cake features all the double crosses, grasses, and reversals of fortune that come as standard to the genre, but it is lifted by the uniformly excellent cast, the snide intelligence of the script, and the effortless pace of Vaughn's direction. A heavyweight gangster picture worthy of being included in with the greats. Fun stuff indeed, even if you might need the subtitles to decipher all of the Brits speak. It does nothing revolutionary, but it handles the basics with entertaining aplomb. Finally, crime caper in the style of Guy Ritchie, but better. Not your first time seeing this film from memory? No, I've seen this a few times. Okay. Daniel Craig, we've mentioned Bond already. They say this was the performance that caused producer Barbara Broccoli to take notice and believe he might be a good fit for Bond and get those wheels in motion. I knew this before seeing the film for the first time. And when you know that, it literally watches like a James Bond audition tape. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, it makes completely no sense because I think this is the last time he does before Casino Royale, but... 
there's you know, that was something that was in the works, for example, already. There's a point in the DVD commentary where Matthew Vaughan says, "There he is, Daniel Craig, doing his best Bond." Mm. And so maybe it's something he'd spoken about previously. He's like, he has all the suits at the start. He's the intelligent guy. He's straight-faced, unemotional. He's got the kind of wit we're supposed to see when he's speaking to Dragon, as you were supposed to hear just a second ago. Mm -hmm. We see the moment where he gets a gun for the first time and he's going around corners. We've got the cold scenes where he's like dealing with his first kill and the aftermath of that the outsmarting of his ops at the end. It's kind of just everything that you're supposed to get from James Bond. Yes, yeah, it is, yeah, definitely. Like I say, once I, once I, you had mentioned it to me and I stopped and thought about it, you are right, it makes complete and utter sense. Particularly once we know that was the direction they were going in with the, the grittiness. And the scene of him coming around the corner with the gun, I think, is the one where now you look at it and go, okay, that's James Bond. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I actually think the scene that may have secured it for him is the scene after he's dealing with the first person he's killed and he's necking down the whiskey and pills and he's sat in front of the TV with his shirt off. He can't get comfortable and he's restless. and But he's still just stone-faced as he's dealing with all this. And then the morning after, it flashes across and he's in his suit and he's ready to go out. I thought it was actually one of the best shot scenes in the film. And I thought that's probably, yeah, the final sequence that uh, got him over the edge. Yeah, I get that. It's actually more impressive now when we have seen things like Knives Out and we do see the other things that he's capable of doing, clearly. I wondered, can you remember what the first film would have been that you saw Daniel Craig in and would this have been it? I don't know, mate, honestly. Would it have been this? It might even have been Casino Royale. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Well, I'd only seen him in one thing before Casino Royale. You know, honestly, I don't know. I, when he was cast as James Bond, I remember looking at him and saying, "That's the guy from Tomb Raider." He's in the first Lara Croft Tomb Raider film as, I believe, her love interest. Okay. And he takes a bullet, and they whatever device it is they're using in the first one, there's a point where they kind of rewind time and you see the bullet coming back out of him. I think he still dies in the end, actually. But yeah, that's where I remember seeing his face for the first time. I honestly couldn't tell you. Any chance Sienna Miller was trying to get a Bond girl role here as well? They Did they not sleep together? Is this not when she got caught cheating on Jude Law? I, I don't know. <laughs> You're you're clearly more in tune with the gossip than I am. I maybe I'm wrong. I feel like it would, definitely a thing. It would add up. I mean, I mean, she, she, you gotta say she looks very good in this. She looks like she could be a Bond girl in this. She's you can see their trailer shot. They want to get ridiculous in this. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've just made that up. No, don't think I have. All right, looks like. Uh, Jude Law cheated on her in 2005, so maybe they were both as bad as each other. Maybe I'm completely wrong, in which case, I apologize. I feel like I read that somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. I think no. I, all I can see so far is... Jude Law oh, no. 
31st of January 2014, Sienna Miller discusses her Daniel Craig Jude Law love triangle. And if you really want a pinch in time, she was exposed via a voicemail message. <laughs> yeah, there is a bit of a shift back in it. This was worse for Jude Law, who had co starred with Daniel Craig in Road to Perdition and says Aries in Layer Cake, which doesn't ring a bell to me, so maybe they're yeah. wrong. Vanity Fair, and but they're doing a crossover. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. There you go. Maybe uh, she'd severed ties then in that case. And <laughs> she wasn't going to get the Bond girl role. Yeah. yeah. The author here, J.J. Connolly, he says that he designated his protagonist as Quadruple X in his mm-hmm. mind until he could think of a more suitable name for the character. Ultimately, he decided the character didn't need a name for the story to be effective. I, when I was going through the critics' reviews, saw one that essentially said, you know, the name was forgettable. Um, I realized I didn't even know his name or something like that. Yeah. Which I'd have taken as an insult if I hadn't then clocked on the what's the last line of the film, said I'm not being smart enough to know my name, and then bang. Yeah. Any difference to you? Does good no. choice, bad choice, just indifferent? It makes no no difference whatsoever, mate. He's right. It doesn't. It's a story that his name's John John Smith. Does it improve it for you? Does it make any worse? It doesn't change anything, does it? No, I was just question whether it would make the role more got... memorable as it stands. No, I don't think so for right. the duration of this episode. I mean, we're just going to be referring to him, I guess, is right. when Daniel Craig. Yeah, went around the corner or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't make it any better of an experience. I don't think it ain't like. It doesn't. No, no, I think it changes a lot. I think we do that quite a lot, anyway. To be fair, I remember that was one of um, the pointers that I sent out. I say we agreed upon. I don't know if they were agreed upon, but before our first episode, we're essentially like, look, there's a character's name. Say the character's name, and then didn't last very long. Myself included. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we were saying Clark Duke by the end of the first episode. Probably. The cast in this is very impressive, and it is one of those where, at the time, not so much, and so it ages well when it then goes and it does its Netflix run or its Prime run or whatever run. Craig, obviously, we know, goes on to play James Bond. The one that I thought, when we look at the kind of years for people in the runs, Michael Gambon, who plays Eddie Temple in this, yeah, plays Elvis Dumbledore in the same year. Yeah, it's only because uh, the first guy died. Yeah, I mean, just the contrast in characters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. But, yeah, he got the role. What one does he first pop up in? The third one, Prisoner, Prisoner of, Azkaban. of Azkaban. Yeah, so he has that come out first in the year, and then Lair Kate comes out afterwards. He's Michael Gambon. He gets to do what he wants. Well, we spoke a bit previously so we don't need to rehash all of it but how there are some clauses in the contracts of like superheroes Mm. in that they can't then go out and i don't know elizabeth olsen couldn't have been cast in 50 shades at the same time as she's playing scarlet witch yeah any of these things that i mean it it makes sense to me there's I didn't watch this film saying that's Albus Dumbledore and 
well, I don't know if I thought I'd seen layer cake first if I spent the whole film saying that's Eddie Temple, but mm. no, I, I don't even, the makeup helps, but yes. uh, decent range of that. Again, it's Michael Gamble, mate. Yeah. Tom Gamble. Hardy, a very small role for him in this, doesn't really kick on for a few years. No. I, I was debating this earlier. I didn't want to waste the deep dive on Tom Hardy because we've spoken to him so, about him so many times before. Um, Bronson is breakout, would you say? He does have quite a big two, big 2008, actually. He does this. He does the Guy Ritchie film, doesn't he, Rock and Roll? Yeah. He does that and that. So, yeah, it's probably probably about right. I don't know what he does in between. You've got uh, Jamie Foreman, his name, isn't it? Yes. Who we've spoken about a couple of weeks back on uh, this <laughs> this podcast. He's in there doing his thing. And then you've got Bern Gorman, Tamar Hassan, Colm Meany, Ben Wishaw, just the other familiar faces around the uh, around the party in this one. So it has the feeling, even if you were to just IMDB, of a British gangster film before you even press play. Yes, it does, yeah. yeah no appearance for Vinnie Jones. Maybe he's a bit too big time by the, by now. No Danny Dyer either. No. The, the direction here is interesting because Guy Ritchie actually was in place to direct but other commitments meant they had to drop out. Mm. To me, just watching it, and we're going to speak about the kind of tone this one, it, it feels like it wants to be a bit more intelligent than Lockstock and Snatch, maybe. I don't know if that's how you would take it. Um, I'm not sure intelligent was the word I no, but you, Subtle, it, maybe? Yeah, that's probably a better way to put it. Barring, obviously barring certain scenes but overall I would say so I thought it was maybe supposed to be more palatable to a foreign audience because I think if you're tuning in to see Lock, Stock and Snatch then maybe you are tuning in to hear the rhyming slang and, and all of this this is far more of a film that's set in England rather than it being as much of a character as maybe it is in some of the Guy Ritchie films um Possibly, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure about the international. I maybe. Well, we get comments. taking any, especially mid 2000s, trying to take any British film to America was a risky play. In in this, we get more things like proper English. Even the drug dealers don't work weekends, rather than the really eccentric stereotypes that we get in the Guy Ritchie versions. Yeah, I suppose so. I think stereotypes would probably be your go-to if you were trying to, to market something internationally, unfortunately, but it is true. Well, Matthew Vaughan does take over here. This is his first film, and I was just having a look down his IMDb just to see whatever else I could find, and no, not going to work, so no trailer later. Um, he does Layer Cake in 2004, Stardust yeah. in 2007, which is a massive fantasy smash hit. Charlie Cox, Sienna Miller again, Ian McKellen, Henry Cavill, Mark Strong. Yeah. He then does Kick-Ass, which I know you're not a fan of, but was a very successful action film. Mm. X-Men First Class. This is the one, if you've seen it, that's exploring the relationship between Charles Xavier and Magneto in the 60s. 
mm-hmm. um, 7.7 on IMDb. He does all three Kingsman films. Yep. And he's currently wrapping up production on a film called Argyle, which is a spy film with um, Henry Cavill and Bryce Dallas Howard in the lead roles. You scroll down, the other names involved here, Brian Cranston, John Cena, Samuel L. Jackson, Dua Lipa, and Sam Rockwell. Big name. Big yeah, name. He, every, literally every film on his list is a hit. It's all hits, no misses. Yeah. If any, The closest to a miss he's had is The King's Man. That's, I, have you ever seen that? No, but uh, just in terms of how it's received, I mean, down that list. I think it's very, very good. Very good. It's, I think it's the only one on the list that isn't rated seven or higher on IMDb. Uh, yeah, I know it wasn't as well received. It's very, it's very different. It's almost, it tries to be a history lesson, but it's very, it is very interesting. But when he's been able to tick off what well, a British gangster film, a oh, big budget kids fantasy film, yeah, superhero that, film. That is range. Kick-Ass, which I guess somewhere in the middle of it's kind of the American superhero-ish one. He's kind of making a play on the superhero one, which may be more impressive. Kingsman, an original idea. He wrote them as well. Oh, well. Yeah, it's... That I did not know. Yeah, it's he's very impressive, and I think his name in this country should be far more well-known. Possibly. Uh, very Americanized, isn't it? That, that list of films. Even Kingsman, I know it's say, but you, you, you know that's a Hollywood picture. Yeah, that makes sense. It's not a British film. I guess even Layer Cake I'd always heard of, but I just never, never watched it. Mm. Um, and yeah, go to go over and be trusted with something like that because he does. It's not like some of the Marvel films which you, you shared your opinions on before, which which is very much. They're more produced films, aren't they? You're putting a director in to steer the ship, but they've yeah. got rid of most of them that do want to have original ideas. Yes. Like they had, what's his name? Uh, got it, the zombie land, and I'm, his name is going gonna, gonna to annoy me. Was it Ruben Flosher? They had someone that was supposed to do Ant-Man, and they got rid of them because they were trying to do a bit too much. Okay. And then even recently, I think it was Evangeline Lilly spoke out and said, well, this is the first Ant-Man film that isn't just supposed to be a palate cleanser. And it's like, yeah. how? why would you even come out and say that? Like, it's very, they are, it's very true though. Yeah, but maybe don't, I mean, it maybe helps now, but I enjoyed Ant-Man more than, more than plenty of them. No, no, but that is 100% what the first one was and the second one. It was, we've given you this, now we're, tone it down, tone it back a little bit, and then we'll go again. Ah, it wasn't Ruben Flosher, it was Edgar Wright that was linked to do um, Ant-Man, and I believe they uh, got rid. Yeah, it's probably been a bit difficult for him, considering he helps Brighton, how sort of write, wrote his three biggest, four biggest films he helped to write and then directed, so it's probably, it was always going to be difficult for him to just come and step in, step in and just... 
Yeah, did do it in the, it do it to their formula, and I'm not saying formulaic in twelve oh, yeah, yeah. kind of worms again, but it's to their to their standards. So There's someone the, that uh, standard has made some money. Jeez. Who's that? Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Yeah. Yeah, some boy. I think the opening scene in this film does a great job of immersing you from the get-go. Does a great job in explaining the type of character you're dealing with with Daniel Craig, and. I mean, it's just a cool monologue. To mm-hmm. be fair, um, yeah. you you deal with a lot of gangster films in terms of drug dealers and this and that, geezer this and showing a bit more, a bit more to it, I guess, just to separate it early on. Um, there were villains locked away for twelve years for robbing a bank of ten grand doing time with drippy hippies who were doing 12 months for smuggling 2 million quids worth of puff. I mean, work it out, mate. We're in the wrong fucking game. Drugs changed everything. Drugs changed everything. I think the first line of that entire sequence is, when I was born, the world was a far simpler place. It was all just cops and robbers, but it wasn't for me. Mm. I guess something to point to is he says here, always remember that one day this drug monkey business will be legal. They won't leave it to people like me when they figure out how much money there is to be made. Not the case over here. I'm branching out a bit more overseas and in various other places. You're still not going around the corner to get a few grams of Coke in the way that his character is predicting at the start here. Mm. But the money involved is just setting you up to the world that you're about to become immersed in. Not millions, fucking billions, recreational drugs, PLC, giving people what they want. Good times today, stupid tomorrow, but this is now. So until prohibition ends, make hay while the sun shines. All true. Very, very good opening. Yeah, no, I agree. Very cool. Farming collective. Yeah. it, It did make me think that, now, I didn't think they were going to be approaching the rest of it from a moral standpoint, but it, it, I did think that maybe they were going to be framing the rest of the film differently. I know the idea is his character effectively feels he's a, he's a bit better than this world that he's a part of. And as the film goes on, he very quickly realizes about himself that he's almost no better than everyone else. He's maybe just a bit more intelligent. Yeah. And ultimately his demise comes because he goes to do the very thing that he says he needs to avoid doing. Correct. So that was the only question I had around that. I thought for sure there was going to be something where he was not quite the law abiding citizen stand of look, how can this get you this, this get you this, I'm only doing this, I'm the middleman or whatever. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah, it just sounds uh... good above everything else. It does got the. I mean, the film itself's got a little bit heat, a little bit of a heat heat vibes to it. Breaks his one rule and gets fucked for it. Yeah, that's it. And I think maybe the most standout scene to me after that one is the the teapot beating. Morty in the calf, yes, man. Yeah, so it's George Harris, isn't it, um, on the receiving end? Duran mm. Duran in the background while. Morty batters him and then pours scalding tea all over him. It's all right. It's, it's kind of that 
horror uh, when it's just down and you see him right. He does actually praise it's it. The steam comes up. Yeah, off his head whilst he's writhing. It's, it's. I don't think anyone can do this without getting a Tarantino comparison, but Matthew Vaughan does a very good job of this. He's done this now here. He does it in Kingsman. He does it in Kick-Ass. It's something that we've seen now where you see it whether in trailers and films, just having a polar opposite soundtrack alongside the violence you're seeing on screen. Yeah. It, it just, it just hits yeah. every time. It does. Yeah. Is it? Sorry, I mean, Tarantino, he said, if you're making an indie, spend all your money on music. Yeah. I always like when you bring that up as well. It's true. I, I can't, I think it is true. How often we, I mean, we ask a question every week about the best soundtrack. And it's a tough one this week, actually. For mm, you. Um, I think that's a clear one. Well, Kylie do it for you in this one, is it? Uh, he will, he will, I mean, if you want me to, get to jump ahead, yeah, it will be this that wins. Um, in my eyes. But it is a case of there are, it is important. Like, scenes, think of Give Me Shelter and Goodfellas. Yeah. When that kicks in. Um, even Lola when they um Lila, sorry, when it kicks in as well when you've got um the guys the body's getting discovered. It's, you it's, get Jimmy Shelter in this as well, don't you? Yeah. You do. Um it just depending on the song, it can it just changes things. I saw someone say that he used it better than Scorsese. I'm assuming you disagree with that. I do. But we even, when we did our Hot Tub Time Machine interview, we asked, didn't we, about the budget and Mm. they had to scale it back because you're essentially trying to create this nostalgia to the 80s from memory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the best way to do that is you can put as many colourful jumpsuits on people. The music is what takes you back. Home Sweet Home, when Lou's singing that. That's a great scene. Unreal. Yeah, I sent you a little hot tub time machine clip before we started today. Yeah, from the second one. Yeah. Doesn't run. Doesn't run the same. Um, the negotiations in Amsterdam very good. Also, yes, they are. His, uh, you give a fucking aspirin a headache, pal. Separate one of his his misses holding the machine gun while being wound up by uh, dragons people. And Jamie, um, Jamie Foreman's really good at doing what he's supposed to do in this. Just playing an antagonistic little bastard. Yeah, but he just does yeah. it very well. <laughs> he does, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's wasn't the criticism. That's just who his character's supposed to be. He's supposed to be fucking annoying. The Scouse is saying kidder every, uh, <laughs> every <laughs> six words or so. That'd do a bit for you, did it? it? It made me laugh each time, yeah. Any before the ending, any particular scenes in this that, that stand out to you? The explanation of the layer cake. I guess um, I'll come out with the ending to be fair. Yeah, okay, fine, I'll start there. Um No, not 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 really. Scene with the sniper's good. Yeah, I'll give you that. In the bushes. Because that's something we've seen time and time again and they've kind of remixed it a bit. Anytime they do 
position themselves a little too easily, you know something's going to happen. Yeah. But I like the little bits when they're together as a group, like when Craig returns to Tom Hardy and he's saying, and I said to him, do you know where I live? If Fuck off then. You didn't say that, that, did you? That is the exact conversation that would happen as well. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's probably a good rule of thumb for anyone called Dragon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't antagonise them any more than you need to. Oh, it's gone the other way. Just you know how to find me. Not yet. All right. I'll see you later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whole meanie, very good as well. Um, yeah. Cole meanie's very good. And it's actually like him pretty much everything I see him in, to be fair. Yeah. I think it's one where if we did our kind of casting what ifs as we used to, mm. I think it's a pretty perfectly cast film. I don't yeah. think anyone's doing anything that's particularly new to them. And there's an art to that in look if you know if you know you need a striker, go and get a striker. Like everyone yeah, exactly. here is doing their thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly that, mate. Yeah, no false not, nines. It doesn't reinvent the wheel. Like there was a, one of the one of the reviews you read out is it's not revolutionary, it just does the basics really use it's a, use the word aplomb, but just does does what it wants to do very well. And there's something to be said for that. Especially in a film of this type. Yeah, I thought they got the tone just about right as well. I think I came on here after watching Thor 2, what, no, Thor, like Thor, whatever the most recent one is, and said about the balance, and it was horrible. They just went so far in with the comedy that that there's a scene where like 50 kids have been transported to the Shadow Realm where they're being held by this demon and are almost certainly going to die. And like the kids are cracking jokes in this black hole. And it just, the whole thing is just off. Mm. With this, they, they managed to main, get it just right with with the balances of it and with the things of the conversations that I've just said there with them in the park. And then you do still have the serious bits. You've got the double cross being revealed the first time around with um, his boss being an informant. But then you've got him being ready to have a time of his life with Sienna Miller while, and then he gets punched in the stomach, bag over his head, and he gets the full story, and he's being given the runaround by the new boss. Everything yeah. is done just about right. I was hour 45, the runtime. Well, that, it's very perfect, isn't it? Yeah, because I thought it can go either way. Once I saw and it's not a disrespect, but once I saw it, it wasn't a particularly complex plot. It's not. And no, it's not. No, and so I thought, okay, what are they going to be doing with this? Because I couldn't imagine there being some great depth of character. I couldn't imagine we're going on any particular ride of someone discovering themselves. And then no, I thought, you don't. It, but you do get uh, to see, you get to see more of, Mr. X, then you might have done it. It might have done in other cases. Yeah. So I think it was okay. 2004. I knew it wasn't the biggest budget film. I didn't imagine. I didn't. Had never had it sold to me that you're going to have look, these grand car chases and all of these things. So I was just wondering how they were going to pack this out. And it does just seem they've got essentially a team of likable people. Yeah. That have just worked together, and we've got enough set pieces in here 
to make yeah, it work. Just got good actors actors together, given them good roles, and said, "There you go." Well, the the, the real set pieces that we really see where there's any kind of action. Not really counting the park because it's just one stationary shot of someone being hit lying down. Really, yeah. it's just in that warehouse. People come in, people escape. People come in, people escape. That's pretty much the action scenes we get. Um, and then it works. Kicking fuck out of them in the cuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it does. Did. did did you see the double cross coming in the way that it does? Because anytime someone is told you have to get this for me and they get it for them and they're about to roll off into the sunset, you you naturally suspect this exchange is, isn't going to go as smoothly as it probably should. I don't I mean, know if you recall. No, not the first time I watched it. I mean, at this stage, at this stage of seeing so many films from this genre anytime it's I'm going to ride off into the sunset yeah the automatic answer is no you're not it's because really what happens is he suspects the double cross he has his guys ready to pounce on the bosses guys gets his mm-hmm. pills back he's able to sell them right his wrongs kind of thing and then set up as the new guy opposite yeah. the boss um The original endings that Sony Pictures wanted shows him driving off into the sunset with his new girlfriend after he says, right, you know, right from the start, I wanted my escape plan. And yeah, he rides off into the sunset with his new girlfriend, Sienna Miller. Mm-hmm. Matthew Vaughan secretly records the alternate ending that we end up seeing with X being shot by Sydney. And they end up using that based on a popular vote, essentially. Um, okay. Now, this was with local audiences. And the feedback was, it wasn't like other American movie endings. And that's why they preferred it. Yeah, I get that. I I didn't like the ending so much. No? I I was more than happy with the... Look you've outwitted the guy that thinks he's outwitted you. I like the monologue with, he taught me a very valuable lesson, all of these things. And I had a lot going through my head. I thought, first of all, okay, you've been outsmarted by this guy. And the way the rest of the tone of the film was, I thought it was going to be, you know, he taught me the most valuable lesson I needed that day. Now I've got this set up, this set up, whatever you need to see. Mm-hmm. After that, I, I I was more than happy with him kind of sailing off with his escape plan or whatever. Yeah, it just seemed so abrupt, and I know that's the point, but it just seemed like I needed a bit more of a setup to it because in times where we've seen this kind of thing happen before, it's they've like kicked the fuck out of someone several hours earlier in the film, and yeah. then bang. Yeah, I guess something like um, a Bronx Tale or something like that. Yeah, someone comes back. This didn't feel like that to me. But I do know, and I don't know if you knew this, that there was a sequel book written 
And um, yes, I did know that. Yeah, so that fade to white was supposed to be him going into a coma that he's then awoken from in part two. Now, Jason Statham bought the rights to this sequel. Yeah. He offered it to Daniel Craig, who has always said that he'd love to return and do it, but only if it was Matthew Vaughan. His career has gone a very different way. And it was all set up, supposedly, about six years ago. Cast was going to return, only switch out is Jason Statham is essentially Daniel Craig. Yeah. Yeah, I did know that. But I couldn't I couldn't track down what stopped this or whatever. I know Jason Statham goes on a hot streak around late two thousands, early twenty tens, where I watched so many of his films that I couldn't tell you what they were called. They've got they're called autos and shit. Yeah, when it was like there was safe and there was the bank job and there was the mechanic and all of these. Mm-hmm. I only remember the mechanic part two because I watched it at the cinema and Jessica Alba was in the sequel because TK messaged me about the mechanic every day and I was like, oh, no, I've seen it, but I used to finish work on a Saturday and effectively just watch one of these Jason Statham easy to easy to bang on hour and a half jobs. Yeah, I get that. He could easily do this Daniel Craig one here. I imagine it would be a lesser budget than it would be if Craig comes back, but the director here does so much to make it not quite feel like every other type of film. And with no disrespect, with no disrespect intended, it would be very easy. I think for this to veer off the rails and be more in the rise of the foot soldier category than in the layer cake category. And yeah, I get you. I don't know. I don't know how you'd do it now. You'd probably need to reboot it, and I don't know how old everyone's looking, but they're looking older than he's been in a coma and he's just woken up, unless he's been in a coma twenty years and just woken up. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Do, um, do you mind the shooting yeah. and that side of it? The shooting, what at the end? Yeah, I don't know how you find that. No, it's okay. Um, my, I mean, my main issue is is that he's the cat. He's the character that does it. Yeah, he ain't about that. Yeah. Well, I guess he goes for the he goes through the second shot, doesn't he? And backs off when he clearly re- he realizes oh, I'm not that guy. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, um, it's a strange one. Shall we move on to our second film? Yeah. You want to go for a ride? Oh yes. Warning: This ride may be too intense. Intense. <laughs> Don't look at me, run away! Thanks, Pope. Here's where it gets tricky. Or a low tolerance. Or Steve. Nicholas Cage. Gone on in 60 seconds. Are you alright? Because you just drove through a wall. Wait, if he's in 13, he starts doing that. There's a lot to take in that trailer if you've got any eardrums left. Um, Very 2000s, that trailer and if you could see the way it's put together it's like it's been edited by the same person that did the you wouldn't steal a car you wouldn't <laughs> steal a dvd adverts it's, it's literally it's just like that with the flashes and everything no. um 
A retired master car thief must come back to the industry and steal 50 cars with his crew in one night to save his brother's life. Keenan, you aced it with the critics' perception of Layer Cake. What do you think they thought of Gone in 60 Seconds? Six out of ten. Fans of Hollywood's action excess have a lot to like here. However, more discriminating audiences will likely find it a very middle-of-the-road work. What's missing from Gone in 60 Seconds is anything new. There's a been-there-done-that feeling to the Enterprise. It's loud, pointless, and tedious, and almost ruins a a classic crime flick. Your favourite type of review? Check your brain at the door. Enjoy with popcorn. Yeah. And finally, for car lovers and lovers of truly bad films only. Hmm. Nicholas Cage, I think, is a good place to start here. Because I've got a couple of questions for you on him. Alongside National Treasure, is this the most normal Nicholas Cage role? Uh, maybe, maybe. You you recently watched his latest one, didn't you? I haven't finished it yet. Oh, <laughs> all right. Not because it's bad. Uh, honestly, I, the first hour, the first forty minutes of it, legitimately sensational. And I need you to. I'm going to finish it, and I need you then to watch it. I'm sure I will. Definitely will. So, um, yeah, it might well be, mate, to be honest. He's in some odd stuff. Well, I've got a question for you about that. And if you could go back and you know what you know now and you're his manager, would he have had a better career doing entirely straight roles like this or doing everything quirky like Con Air, et cetera? Like, could he have made a career almost starting out just doing the roles Jim Carrey turns down? I think, quite honestly, he could have, he would have made a career doing whatever he wanted. If you're steering him the way of the most money, or maybe the, the, the most acclaim. Oh, for acclaim, no, he, could, he should go and do serious roles. Forget action films and just go and be a serious actor. So you think he'd be better off doing more like this than more like essentially what he's grown to be? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't... Post-2010, we sort of write off a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Not in a a bad way, but... Because there is this difference, isn't there, in kind of being weird, funny, and like this, the and slapstick, and then just kind of, I guess, just odd. Like... it there are very few actors that can do what Jim Carrey does. And I, I don't even think Nicolas Cage can do what he does, but just trying to think of an equally weird guy. There's, I don't know if you'll have seen the meme. <laughs> there's, there's a meme with Lizzo on one side and this big fat guy on the other side. And on the one on the one side it says empowering, and on the other side it says put a shirt on. Mm. Just doing the the two side two sides of the same coin is that the phrase? Yeah, yeah. In 
Nick Cage and the type of weirdness and how it translates. Like the purpose of some of these Jim Carrey ones are kind of like that he's weird and everything else around him is supposed to be normal and that's why it works. Whereas the ones like Con Air is effectively we're committing to everything here is just going to be so elevated to make it work and then you can have him hair flowing in the wind and these catchphrases and all of it. And I do just wonder if it's what Nick Cage has a preference for or or whatever, because... I think at some point, maybe you just need the money. Because the ones like this and National Treasure are weird, because what what he's essentially in there because... He's kind of got like a straight face. He looks like a normal guy. And his entire like description is to just not do anything that's particularly out there. Like he's very reserved in these roles. Mm. And so I, I don't know if that would satisfy him if he was to be doing that. Because by uh, all accounts, so when you hear of people around him, I don't know if I've butchered this whole point, but... I don't know what he likes and I don't know just what he can do. I don't know if he could be a central guy. But he has in, been. But not successfully in the in the in the odd in the odd roles that we would perhaps associate his name with now. Yeah, but that's that's now. He he was he was a star. Probably but he wasn't but I mean he wasn't a star doing that kind of thing. So he's become a meme, but he wasn't he's closer to Sander in Jack and Jill than he is Jim Carrey in the mask. Again, but that's now, but that's not when he was running around. You you call Conair quirky, right? Let's take Conair and face off. Those are the biggest. He, he's massive. Goes through, does it, does a lot. He does Captain Corelli's mandolin. He's already done leaving Las Vegas. The guy is an Oscar winner at the end of the day. Whatever you yeah, say, yeah, absolutely. Like, I do think he could have just made a career. I honestly, and I, it's worth watching this film and let like, because I don't know how much input he had into this film of his. But they they make a lot of jokes about the memes and what he's become and so on and so yeah. forth. And there's there's obviously a, there's a self awareness to the guy because he wouldn't have agreed to do the film otherwise. And like I said, I don't know. I assume he actually I've not not done any research to it. I just wanted to watch it because it looked quite funny and it is so far. Um, but there's a self awareness to him, obviously, and there's a self effacing. He's just self effacing nature that he is able to to sort of laugh at himself. And they talk, and he talks about. I, I honestly think the guy just likes acting. I think yeah. he just likes. I like. He talks about it a lot, and he's just like. I think he just likes working, mate. And that's if, what it is. If you were selfish, which career of his do you think you would enjoy more? And this isn't that he can mix it up. It is essentially he's doing Con Air and Face Off, or he's doing National Treasure and Gone in sixty seconds and Next and all of these. I don't know. Don't know. I mean, you've got to choose one. I I don't know. I don't know which one I'd enjoy enjoy more. Because I really re- like the just from the film, forgetting that if we, I would need to genuinely, I'd need to sit and split it, film by film. Because I adore National Treasure, you know that. I really like National Treasure too, but I also think Face Face Off is superb. Well, if I just put those two, those four films on the table, and you've got to wipe one side from existence, which side do you wipe? Gone in 60 seconds and 
National oh, yeah. Treasure on one side. No, you can fuck Gone in 60 seconds off. Con Air and Face Off on the yeah, other side. After, yeah, Gone and Gone. This is, uh, this is your loser, unfortunately. That does take National Treasure down with it, though. It does, but you asked me to make a decision, so I made one. It is. I wasn't, I wasn't yeah. sure how strongly um, you were with... You watched the TV show National Treasure? No. They're, they're trying to get him to come back, but not in the same way that... Uh, not the whole thing. I think it's Justin Bartha. I think he's the lead guy. Well, what, so no, it's the same storyline. I think he's in there as a character in the TV show, and it links from there. So he's okay. he's the recognisable face to kind of piece this together. Where they got Bradley Cooper to do a cameo in that Limitless TV show, and yeah, yeah they're trying to get Cage back on board, but he's making his uh, Dracula film at the moment. I think. Uh, I'm going to watch that. By the way, I think I think he wanted it to be an opera. I don't know if he got his way. <laughs> you can probably find online just the excerpts yeah. of Seth Rogen talking about him. I think I've told you about it before, but it's better for you to read it. I think. Yeah. Because it just seems like he is that guy. It is. <laughs> this isn't like he's not NPH in. Harold and Kumar, where he's playing it up like this, this yeah, is yeah. just who he is. Um, yeah. The the driving in this film. Now, I don't think you're a Fast and Furious super fan by any stretch. No, this and the first first Fast and Furious film come out right around the same time. One mm-hmm. of them goes on to be as one of the most successful franchises of all time. One of them kind of flops initially and get then gets a good run on cable. Yeah. Nicolas Cage did most of his own stunt driving for this film. Hmm. The the reason he does this film is because he just likes cars and he wanted to drive the cars. And so <laughs> him signing on to do this film and someone else do the driving made no sense. Yeah. Fair. So he attended four separate driving schools. Um and he just liked race car driving so much that he continued to pursue it as a hobby afterwards. I wonder, do you think there are enough driving scenes in this? For a film without cars, probably not. Because it caught me off guard a little bit. Mm. I thought... Uh, my comparison with Fast and Furious would be that Fast and Furious... I don't like... I've never had an interest in cars. My interest peaked with... Probably Need for Speed Carbon, to be fair, because I had the Need for Speed Most Wanted kind of tied in with that, or what Underground, sorry, tied in with that. Need Other than that, wanted, superb. I, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you most. I couldn't look at most cars in the street and tell you what they are or whatever. I've no, never been a Formula no. One guy. No, Scale Electrics did not much for me after the first five minutes of playing with it. But Fast and Furious found a way to make cars cool for me. When I watch them, I enjoy looking at the cars. I enjoy this whole kind of culture within the film. I, I that's sort of think, gone. That's that's far gone from it now, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't think they did it as well in this film as I would have expected for a film that's centered around fifty of the most expensive, most powerful supercars in the world. Uh, no, I agree. 
I do, I do agree. Um, well, I, I suppose they just made the choice because rather than have, have him driving 50 different exotic motors. Yeah, I mean, it sounds very critical. I, I kind of enjoyed the film for what it was. I don't think we were ever going to break this down in the same way that we did, say, The Town or something like that. Yeah. We spoke earlier about um, bags being fumbled in the sense of Russell Crowe and Matt Damon. They were obviously very successful anyway. Timothy Oliphant, who played Detective Drykoff, was the studio's first choice to play Dominic Toretto in The Fast and the Furious. Well, He declined it because he felt it was too similar to Gone in 60 Seconds that he'd done the year before. The next person in line is Vin Diesel. Well, that is, I mean, I don't know what offers you had on the table at, on the time, my friend. Very good actor, Timothy Olyphant. But they would not have made you the money that you could have squeezed out of Fast and Furious. No, but yeah, but you don't, you don't know that, do you? He, no, you've got to assume that I, if he, he was at I least going to get I a couple think... out of it. I don't think we're doing Fast X. Put it that way. No, because it became a passion project for Vin Diesel and they realised that they had to ad- adapt it. I yeah. think he at least gets a sequel out of it. Maybe. When you look at even just the rest of the cast in there, Vin Diesel early on, he kind of just grunts in the first couple of films. Mm. So, just a, r- a rough one to look back on there. I wonder how, I don't know how he feels about it. Maybe he would just console himself and say, it would never have turned out the same. Yeah, I mean, it definitely would not. Made a TV show called Justified, but very good. Yeah, yeah. Now, if there's anyone to criticise in this film, I do think Christopher Eccleston's a good place to start with uh, <laughs> his character, Kalitri, I believe the name is. Yeah. It's about the advance. I can understand your anger. Debt has to be settled. Ten grand. Me to you. I wish it was that easy. I don't see the complication. I have four days to deliver 50 cars, and I have no cars. Oh, that's another problem. It's another problem, isn't it? It's about me delivering 50 top-end cars because I said I would. Because if I don't, my South American friend goes somewhere else from now on, and that's not good. It's a humiliation, because I'm the arsehole who said I could deliver. Am I an arsehole? Do I look like an arsehole? Yeah. need that paper satisfied. I'm retired. And where the hell is my brother? Now, it's not lost on him. He says he spoke with his natural Lancashire accent because he noted that in American films, the English accents are always either posh or cockney. Mm -hmm. He was asked to reflect on it, and he said it's a terrible film in which he gave a terrible performance. If he's honest. Yeah, goes on to be Doctor Who. <laughs> um, he is rough in this. Yes. I understand what he means. It did throw me when I heard his accent at first. And I think that's why you get those couple of jokes in there just to essentially let the viewers know, look, we're aware he sounds a bit different to what you've heard before. I almost just clarify his English, I guess. Um I don't know how much you can do and how much you're expected to do in this role, but 
a guy that doesn't sound particularly menacing and the only thing he shows emotion about is wooden furniture. <laughs> Bizarre. Um, yeah, he's not he's not fantastic now. But again, how much can he do? It's just, it's the, it's the important question. Yeah, there's, no, there's no depth to that at all, like to it to it at all, is there? There's no, no but he's I also not given a lot to work with. You know, imagine if you'd asked Nicolas Cage to do that role, and he has what two scenes in the film. Mm-hmm. He's probably putting his life and soul into those two scenes, and he's going to give you a memorable bad guy. I. I don't know what the direction was for Christopher Eccleston, but he effectively just raises his voice, and that's really it. <laughs> like, there's nothing really to what he's doing. But then, yeah, I, I don't know. It, for me, it didn't feel like the big standoff at the end because it didn't feel like a big guy. Like, there was, I didn't feel the presence or anything like that. Yeah, I know what you mean. He doesn't, it's not your final boss, is it? No, and I do think that is on him because we've seen worse films deliver. Not a bad guys. Yeah, I get you. Like, if we can get Tommy Hatcher out of Green Street, I think you can do a bit more here. Because he only has, what, probably five, two more scenes? I can't remember. But yeah, yeah, four or five is probably, probably on the money. I was just trying to think of a... a Duff film, really, but yeah, you know I'm saying. Um, yeah, the rest of the casting, much like Layer Cake, is it's it's an impressive set of people in there. Dominic Sainer said that looking at them on set, he felt that Nicolas Cage and Giovanni Ribisi shared. He said a shrewd sense of humor that they found a way to twist the dialogue. They were really in sync from the get go, and he felt they they acted like brothers when they were together quite cool seeing him, someone that we've spoken about on the podcast before, as a much younger guy. Yeah, I mean, we've done for Saving Private Ryan, so we've already done that. I didn't even uh, associate, I've only seen that film once. Okay, but yeah, we, we, we've seen Saving Private Ryan, mate. So. Probably disrespectful to him that I associate him with Ted. Oh, absolutely, well, most definitely. Ted, Ted in Gangster Squad, probably not the highlights of his career, but no, the Teddy is very funny. This can I be honest with you? Go on. I I'd seen this before, but I hadn't seen it in a really long time. Uh, and when I rewatched it, I became annoyed that with this cast, this is the film we get. Okay, so I'm always weary of approaching films since Never Back Down, in which I came off it and thought there was kind of no real we didn't get into it before it was kind of tearing it down i feel very similar to you it seems um not in that i know i'm not i'm not tearing it down but if you gave me i suppose i am but i don't mean to for the film it wants to be it's a very powerful effort but i just think deval the, the cast you've got maybe 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 not better film, better story, maybe. Yeah, it's a remake. It's a remake of a seventies film. Supposedly a loose remake. I've never seen it. Yeah, but I just think the talent you've got there. 
Yeah, I thought it did. It's hard to describe. It's not brilliant enough for the film that it wants to be for you to go out. Okay, I get it. It's, it's not, but for the film it wants to be, it's not. It's not a bad effort. But then it's just you look at you look at the actors you've got, and you think you you tell me you couldn't apply them. Maybe I don't know. Just towards a better story as a whole, not not the film. I mean the actual plot. Yeah, I don't even know if they're supposed to be. When you look back and you look at the type of films that um, Jerry Bruckheimer was churning out in the 2000s, particularly action films, mm. it's essentially you need the names on the poster to justify you buying a ticket. And then once you're yeah. in there, you're they're supposed to be just spare parts. And then the the set pieces are supposed to be what you go home and talk about. Yeah, I get that. It just, I don't know, that was my dis- disappointment with it was, just with those four, five, six actors you've got, you tell me you can't, you couldn't put together something better. Well, this was Vinnie Jones's third film following Lockstock and Snatch. So mm-hmm. he's gone over to America for the first time doing this. The mute Do mortician you... is all fucking does, man. Pardon? The mute mortician. Just what? That's, uh, I was going to say, uh, why you felt he's the choice to go in and you give him the role where he's not talking because you not have him and Christopher Eccleston's voices in the same piece. Um, is, is his physical presence essentially what you're casting him on? Like when you cast him in a British film, he's cast because he's Vinnie Jones. When you cast him in yeah. America, is it because he just looks like a big intimidating guy? Well, for this, it definitely isn't it. His uh, second introduction was reintroduction in the car park is good. Where he just starts kicking the fuck out of people. I'd actually forgotten a film that he was in the other day until I was on his IMDb and it came out he in 2000. The on the train. Yes, it's called like the Midnight Meat Express. Yeah. What the hell was going on there? I knew you were going to say that. And why mid- the hell have I seen it? Mid 2000s, he pops up quite a lot, actually. Um, the Midnight Meat Train. <laughs> yeah. He pops up quite a lot, to be honest. He was just in shit like that. Yeah, I was just... He tries to... I guess just before that, he's trying to do not just bland Vinnie Jones film, and he's actually being in some high-end productions. Mm. And then he kind of reverts to type. No, it doesn't work. You go back to what you know, don't you? Sometimes the devil you know is better. I mean, forget he was in a he was in an X Men film. <laughs> yeah, he played Juggernaut. Yeah, sounds Australian, isn't it? Random. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he got his money. I always remember. I always think of the Condemned when I think of him, which I don't think you've seen. Is that not him and Steve Austin? Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it, but I know what it is. They're on yeah. the island. Yeah, yeah, adult Hunger Games, basically. Yeah, it sounds like it would be my sort of film, to be fair. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. He's in, being, he's in the machine? Yeah. Uh, can never forget that. No, no. Um, yeah, Robert Duval obviously appears in The Godfather and then must have felt old working with James Kahn's son and Francis Ford Coppola's nephew. Yeah, is he, is he, the daughter not also in this? Not sure. Angelina Jolie, is, she, is, it not, is he not 
Is she not? Is that not her, her dad? No, um, John Voigt is her dad. John Voigt, thank you. I knew it was, knew it was someone famous of that ilk. I take it back, that's person. Yeah, Scott Cannon, great guy. Yeah. I mean, Angelina Jolie in here as well. Almost certain this was as much just to get her face on the poster of anything because they, they don't do anything. much with her. Um, I mean, if we're going to talk about stock going up and down, her stock must have taken a hit here because that trim is nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's not a great look. And I was, I was squirming. The, the scene of them like necking in the car while Nicolas Cage names car parts is as uncomfortable as I've been watching a film. And I've literally seen both Human Centipede and a Serbian film. It was so horrible to watch and it just kept going. What? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what was going on with this. I don't know. I don't know. Presumably to highlight their shared love of cars. Because, I mean, they say, like, this role was written with her in mind. And then you give her a character with no depth. No, like whatsoever. Zero. And it's, it's a shame because I know she's probably better known for other things these days, but she's actually just a good actress. Yeah, yes. Like she's known, like I say, to the Brad Pitt and the adoption of multiple children and everything else these days, but she is actually just a very good actress when you put yeah. a good script in front of you. Yes, it's, it's mad. The, the, the cast here when we said about what they did with the cast they had in Layer Cake in comparison to what they've got here. Mm. And I'm not including the likes of Scott Kahn in that, no disrespect, but Nick Cage, Jolie, Duval, like... Excuse me. The, the, the sum of its parts, those three alone, is probably greater than what you had, even in terms of what they were at the time. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. No, I agree. Cage is big. Big money, yeah. Yeah, he really is. He's just done. I think he's just done the Rock with Sean Connery. Two thousand. I think that's ninety eight, ninety nine. It's definitely after Connor and Face Off. I think it's ninety eight, ninety nine. He's just done the Rock. That was pretty big. Um, and then obviously he comes in to do do this. He is big money at this point. That's what I was trying to say earlier. Like it was a time where he was big stuff. Yeah, Brad Pitt was actually considered for the lead role here. I think he probably he probably does a very very good job. He probably does a very good job of it actually. His job Maybe this would go. Yeah. Um, the translation for this title in Greek cinemas was "Come in sixty seconds," which they had to change after the first week of release. angry blokes walking out of the cinema. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, a couple of comments I wrote down while watching this. E- even in the year 2000, for a job that is as difficult as this, 40k each it equates to. It's not great, is it? And, That's a grander motor. Yeah, because only some of them have... Um, like real stakes on the line in terms of like Nick Cage has to do it. The money's irre- irrelevant. Yeah. 
for for most other people, it's they're assigning the best team they can who are coming in for like the classic one last job. Yeah. You'd probably hang the phone up if you were one last job. That's supposed to be the most money you've ever made. Yeah. The equivalent of going to America. Yeah. Are there any other differences to you in terms of this and Fast and Furious as to what you think? Uh, well, well, I think one worked so much better yeah. than the other. Like tone. I mean, Fast and Furious, the first one. Could you have got a franchise out of this? No, the story's too limited for a start. I mean, I suppose you argue the first. The first Fast and Furious is a completely different entity to where we are now. Yeah, that is actually just about that is about street racing and about cars. It's the whole point in it. With a bit it's, of police detective uh, work yeah, going in there. Yeah, but it, they, he's going undercover because the racing's illegal. They're not out yeah. to... I haven't seen the first one in a very long time, but they're not out committing robberies and stuff like that, are they? Tell me, you might tell me I'm wrong. The only thing I see of the first clip is a clip of Paul Walker saying, that ain't no problem, Kerr. They keep doing the rounds, but obviously you've not seen it. No, no, I don't. Um... I don't know. I think there is a different storyline to it. The storyline to this is I've done what I need to do now. I, I'm always going to, I want to, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. Okay, I'm, 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 you pulled me back in, well, I'm done now. I don't know where the, I'm not sure where the, the, the sequels and what the points of them would have been. I suppose many people would argue that now about Fast and Furious, but we're obviously thinking of the first one. Yeah, um, the final car chase scene is actually brilliant. Yep, and that's something that does look like it could even have come out of like a later that's Fast and Furious film. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Yeah, they're driving in some of the shots they're driving in this are are very good. Now, if you watch the trailer, it says a lot that almost everything is from that final scene. You've got mm-hmm. the kind of canister, whatever you want to call it, that's flying around the place. The quote of you okay? You just what went through a wall man and Nicolas Cage doing the jumps and all of this. Yeah. It it's, says a lot with the reading I do for these that I was reading for about 15 minutes. Um, a bunch of physicians working out whether, or physicists working out whether he could actually do that jump. And whether it would work or not, they say it's on the it's on the brink of being realistic. So, well, fair enough. so he could have done it, but yeah, it's not a certainty. No, interesting ish. They got this weird scene with them talking about tugging at the start as our first introduction to the characters. <laughs> like, what yeah. the hell is going on? Just a bit of chatting. Something happened in between his film. Mm, yes, it is. Yeah, it's just a chance to lighten it and be funny, isn't it? But I do. I think some of the jokes in this just fucking just land terribly, and I can't. Whether it's the dialogue, whether it's the delivery, I don't know. Yeah, maybe the people delivering that. <laughs> Possibly. It doesn't look like um, a group that have been picked because of a collective chemistry. No. It's kind no. of like you've gone through the waivers and you, you're taking you're taking who you can get to kind of flesh yeah, things out after you've got your main guys. 
yeah, just trying to put the best players available on the board. Um, anything else to add with this, really, or do you want to go on to the judging? We'll do the judging, shall we? Let's get on to it. One second. Let me have this ready. All right. Which film do you prefer? Okay. Which do you think is more rewatchable? Okay. I agree on both. Uh, best moment slash scene? Morty and the calf. I would say... I'd probably say the the final chase in this, to be fair. Best quote? Explanation of the layer cake slash welcome to the layer cake song. And I'd do the uh, drugs changed everything from the intro. Okay. MVP? Probably Nick Cage. Yeah, it's a tough one to disagree with, to be fair, when you <laughs> see where you uh, got away with. Mm-hmm. He doesn't go, he don't, don't get shot in the stomach by his new Mrs. X, so he's winning now. Best side character? Boy. Yeah, agree. Which one had you more on the edge of your seat? Um, the answer in this instance has actually gone in 60 seconds, but it's only because I've seen Layer Cake far more recently and I'm far more acquainted with the film. I agree we've gone in 60 seconds, despite being pretty sure how that was going to end. Yeah. Um, action per minute? Oh, gone in 60 seconds. Best soundtrack? Lacking. I do agree. Mm. Originality? Lacking. Agreed. Bigger impact? Lacking, because we, we now know that it leads to yeah. becoming Bond. Best opening scene? Agreed. Ending? Gone in 60 seconds. I'm taking layer cake still. (laughs) I wasn't a fan of the gone in 60 seconds one. Uh, Best chemistry? Layer cake. Agreed. Nine three, the final score. To layer cake, so that goes through to the next round. We'll confirm later which films are doing next week because I'm <laughs> unsure as it stands. But hey, there will be an episode next week, so keep an eye on your feed yes, towards the end of the week, Friday onwards. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back. Adios. <laughs>